Welcome to this ENN podcast from the Wasting Stunting Technical Interest Group. My name is Tanya Kara. I'm one of ENN's technical directors and the co-coordinator of the Wasting and Stunting Technical Interest Group, or WASTIG, as we commonly call it. The WASTIG is a group of experienced researchers, practitioners and policymakers that was set up by ENN in 2014 and is concerned with answering the question of what is the relationship between wasting and stunting and what implications there are of that for breaking down existing silos between these two manifestations of malnutrition within research, within programming and at policy level. For this podcast, I'm joined today by Susan Thurstons, one of the members of the group and the lead author of Systematic Review, the relationship between wasting and stunting in young children. And the Systematic Review is the topic of our conversation today. We'll also hear in the podcast from the previous co-coordinator of the group and continued active member, Carmel Dolan, and also from Gloria O'Day, a researcher who was inspired by the work of the group to conduct her own research on the topic. So welcome all. So Susan, when we set up the WASTIG in 2014, the first thing we did was to look to the literature and do a review of what we did know about the relationship between wasting and stunting. What evidence was there out there for a relationship between the two or that spoke to there not being a relationship? And we did that with members of the group. We searched the literature and we looked to shared causes and effects um, between wasting and stunting in children. We looked into evidence of uh, shared mechanisms in terms of physiology. Um, We also looked for any evidence that there was a direct relationship between the two in terms of one leading to the other. And we put this review together into a technical briefing paper that we released at the end of 2014, within which we identified both what evidence was out there, but also where gaps in knowledge were in terms of the relationship between the two. And really those gaps that we identified, which we then went on to prioritise in the research prioritisation exercise, have really formed the work plan of the group ever since. And so then when we, three years ago, were taking stock of the work of the group, we recognised that we ourselves as a group had built a number of pieces of evidence that spoke to the relationship between wasting and stunting, but also other researchers, other groups had also started to look at this question, look into their own data and how it could shed more light on the area. So two years ago now... So in 2019, we felt it was time to revisit um, and update where we were at. And Susan, you have led us through that process. Yeah, I I think 
you go back and my understanding of what I was doing was very much bringing this systematic approach to both update the 2014 review that was done, um, potentially yes. catch anything that was missed, yes. and really look at, in a systematic way, both what has been done inside the West TIG and then what's happening within the wider community as well. So we, we registered our review with Prospero, yeah. so our question was very much there for, for anyone to see, and we followed the PRISMA guidelines for systematic review, so that gives you the rough structure that you need to follow for this systematic logical approach. Um, so very, very early on, we defined search criteria, and that was a huge challenge right at the Yeah, right I remember. <laughs> you think about, again, it's, it's similar to other work I've done, but the scope of this, it's all about wasting and stunting. And if you put wasting and stunting into a search engine for anything, you will have countless, you know, countless results pop up. So we had to think about how to streamline that into a more manageable way. And so we thought of all of the terms that we could think of for wasting. So yeah. wasting, Erasmus, you know, all of the right words. And we did the same process for stunting as well. And then we tried to think of something to bring those together because whilst they're incredible sources of information all about wasting and incredible sources of information all about stunting, we needed something that, we wanted to, to limit those to papers that had thought about one in relation to the other. And even that, even within that literature, you've still got nutrition surveys that report on wasting, report on stunting, but don't link the two. And so yeah. we had to apply a criteria whereby we used wasting and stunting and and it was a criteria of words that defined a relationship or an association or an interaction or something that brought those, those things together. So that we ran through our various search engines, we've Medline, Embase, Global, um, Global Health. And then we also looked at the ENN reference library that had been established you know, at the start of the last TIG um, project. And we looked at all of those things with these three criteria. And even that generated a huge number of results. I yes. think it was something along the lines of you know, more than nearly 2,500 papers. So when you look at what's included, flowcharts for inclusion in, in studies, um, we had another one which was additional papers provided by the group. So that's the, yes. the WASTIG themselves, anybody that had a paper they thought was relevant that either had been picked up or might not have been picked up. And, and it was great having that extra insurance policy because it meant that we have included a few papers in the review that were pre-publication, um, still not yet published, but, you know, yeah. really, really important papers that have made it into this review and, and offer evidence that is really helping us to understand the relationship. And so, yeah. Yes, and I remember that being a bit of a challenge, wasn't it? Because new papers kept coming papers out kept and we would say, out, Susan, yeah. this has to go in, yes. this has to go in. Yes. But by being able to include those pre-publications, it keeps it current, doesn't it? It, it means current. it actually it is makes it, it makes it to date. Yeah. It makes us more confident in, in what we produce. Yeah. You know, it is relevant, it is up to date. Mm. I hope that we haven't missed anything. <laughs> yes, listeners, <laughs> listeners, yeah. write in if we've missed anything. Um, but to say, you know, this was a distinct piece of work, but as a group, the WASTIG, we are always looking out for 
new papers or new research, new data that's coming out that's that coming can speak to this question. It's just been yeah. published on Wednesday or something, new evidence coming yeah. every day, and, yeah. and that's great. And that's the importance of these research processes, whereby you know this, this review was done in 2014, and, and we it's been redone and maybe we'll be redoing it again in four years time you know when when more evidence is generated and our, our understanding is even better than it is now which brings me to that question of which areas so we had the 2014 review are there particular areas where this review really shed more light on our understanding of the relationship between wasting and stunting and the implications of that. Very much. So what we found um, in this review, and we've included, is both cross-sectional and longitudinal data that, that shows there is very much a relationship between the two. One of the biggest reviews was one that you've worked on, and that's the review of the 81, 84 countries. Oh, oh yes. yes, where we looked and that at national data. Yeah, yes, cross-sectional data, and that essentially showed that there is a relationship that is more than just chance. And yes. that's, that's you know the, the sheer quantity of cross-sectional data that that was used in that review showed that there is definitely a relationship. And that's been followed up by some longitudinal studies that we've um, included in the review that, that show definitely not only are they linked, but that one, it's, it's a dose-responsive relationship whereby one can lead to the other, and that goes both ways. And we'll delve into that a little bit more, but stunting can lead to wasting and wasting can lead to stunting. One of those directions is far more understandable than the other at present. Yeah. Yeah, some, some, of, some of the information that we've got is still confusing and, and just raises more questions. Um, but we've shown, you know, definitely there is a relationship. I think looking at the methods as well has also shown some, some of the challenges in how we define and how we work. So this use of one point in time idea of looking at the information. So understanding that if you measure somebody at the right time of year, you're going to pick something up. If it's the wrong time of year, you won't. And so looking at just the methods and the, uh, the methodologies that we use um, are failing us because we yeah. fail to recognise that a child through their life course can be both wasted and can be stunted at separate times or together. And again, you know, our reliance on cross-sectional data, this is all of that. And so that's that's been a really interesting finding of the review, I think, is just yeah. recognizing what you know how we how we define the work that we do. Yeah. And it's interesting reflecting on that. One of our the big conclusions that came out of that was that we keep looking at wasting and stunting as states. Mm. I think because at that stage, it was mainly cross-sectional data that we were unearthing, but that we even at that stage had the recognition that something was being missed mm. there, this yeah. process yeah. of wasting and process of stunting that we can only understand better by looking at longitudinal data. And I guess then we've all got this the habit of yes, defining them absolutely. as a definition rather than a process. Yes, yes. state, not the it's process. It's a state, yeah. not the process. And I guess the good thing about then coming back to this question um, more recently is that 
that we do now have more data that's been looked at longitudinally, yeah. which has that includes analysis that's been done by the West TIG, yeah. but also so outside. outside. Yeah. And that really brings me on to one of the, what I think is one of the most important findings that we're bringing into this work is, is the timing mm. of stunting. And this is one of yeah. those papers that's been, you know, a series of papers that are not fully published yet. They've been preprint published. Um, and that's the work of Andrew Mertens and his team that looks at the timing of both wasting and stunting. Yeah. If you think about the way that we work, you know, so for, for many, many years, for as long as I've been around, we target children who are six to 59 months old. And um, recently, you know, we, we've been very lucky. There's work that has focused on children under six months and how vulnerable they are. But it's very much a speciality I think yeah still um, still it's not mainstream yeah. nutrition programming um and what Andrew Mertz and his team what they offer is a new look at the peak timing of wasting and stunting and instead of that being around um the 24 months which we've previously thought of in the past they've shown that the peak timing of both wasting and stunting is between zero and three months so yeah. essentially children are you know in, children are being born wasted, being born stunted, and are being missed by all of our targeting criteria for programs. Yeah, for the majority of programs. Yeah. yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a big, that's a big shift, isn't it? Yes, yeah. It also speaks to this importance, and, and you touched on it, one of the key things that's come out of discussions within the WASTIG is around how we look at data yeah. and that how we look at data shapes our programs yes. and looking at prevalence of wasted or stunted children mm. has kind of shaped our programs in a certain way. It's shaped, it's shaped the divide. Exactly. Humanitarian, yeah, you know, prevention or, or addressing of wasting, and then this more slow development, yes, program approach for prevention of something, yeah, but also shaped because the nature of looking at prevalence and you look at one point in time, yeah. we've missed in our programming that whole element of shift over time, mm -hmm. shift over season, yeah it's not incorporated into our programming mm. because our data we haven't been looking yeah. at our data in that way and then there's evidence in the review actually looking at mm. timings of, of wasting and looking at when it happens and stunting and and looking at how looking at all those vulnerabilities that we miss with um you know this one point in time data yeah and so generally when a country's in crisis you know when, when wet season is approaching we choose our moments and, and we, we do our nutrition survey and, and that's what our interventions are fo uh, focused on um and we looked at longitudinal data that, that followed children from one wet season or one hungry season mm. to another and really picked up on on how it matters what month the child is born and how that can can impact what they go on to experience in terms of nutrition deficits as, as they grow. And so there's evidence within the review looking at how a child born or who is born in the wet season or the yes. hungry season is much more likely to experience wasting or stunting than 
if they're not born yeah the hungry season yeah and how if, if they do experience wasting it means that they're far more likely to experience wasting again and yes. then go on to develop something or you know yeah how you know this triggers this series of insults throughout their life course and I guess how the wasting stunting systematic review contributes to that mm. is this highlighting that this that period is important for both wasting and for stunting yes. yeah. and that focus on as you say women of reproductive age and pregnant women is relevant for both wasting and stunting awesome. yeah. during infancy and then on to childhood yeah. because it really isn't at the moment yeah exactly wasting, pregnant women do not fall into wasting prevention or stunting prevention programs you know it's yeah you know, we focus on anemia we focus yes. on healthy newborns we focus on infant feeding and establishing breastfeeding all of those things are incredibly important but we're still missing something yeah so another area that the review focuses on, the findings, is around the wasted stunted child. Yes, concurrently wasted and stunted. Let's hear from Gloria on that subject. My name is Gloria Odei Obi Amwako. The findings from the Technical Interest Group's review report that showed that some children could experience wasting and stunting at the same time. And there was a question about why then do we have separation in programming policy and financing of undernutrition in children along the lines of wasting and stunting. And I got interested in investigating children's treatment response, especially among children who are concurrently wasted and stunted. And I also got interested in detecting or studying how to detect these children. At that time, when I conceived my research, only one study had been done on detection of children with wasting and stunting by Mike. So I undertook a study with data from Karamoja in northern Uganda to describe the burden, treatment response, and detection of children with concurrently wasted wasting and stunting. What surprised me in the West Systematic Review paper is the fact that Wait for AIDS score and MOAC threshold could be used to detect children with high risks of mortality. And, and that if we use Wait for AIDS score, in addition to MOAC, we'll be able to detect children who are at most risk of death and those at most risk of death and need some form of treatment. This could expand the current therapeutic feeding program to reach more children in need of treatment, especially children who are less than six months old. 
because the current findings shows that actually wasting and stunting starts quite early. The incidence is early at birth, between birth and three months. And the existing therapeutic uh, feeding program focuses on children between the ages of 6 to 59 months. So there's a possibility that we are losing out on children who are less than 6 months. And these two indicators could be used for in detecting children who need therapeutic feeding most. However, I wish to recommend that prospective studies on appropriateness of weight for AZ score and more cutoff points should be conducted to detect worst cases, monitor treatment response, and post-treatment relapse to inform future decision-making. I'm really pleased that Gloria mentions the need for prospective study now to really understand and work out what these high-risk children that are concurrently wasted and stunted need in terms of treatment. You know, we have this finding that a combination of NUAC and a severely low weight for age may be a good way to identify these children who are high risk, but we don't know yet how to do that in a programming setting. And we don't know what intensity of treatment is required. And the WASTIC have developed a prospective study protocol to do exactly that, which is up on our website and which we're interested in collaborating with an implementing partner on if there is interest out there. So we'll give the link to the website at the end of the podcast. But I also think that the work that the WASTIC has done on concurrence is a good example of how we've progressed through different types of data to help us understand this question of concurrent wasting and stunting how to identify what are the implications of that for children and how we might incorporate that into programs. And I think that was also part of, you know, we examined with cross-sectional data, but then we realised that our question wasn't simply about how do we are we capturing or how do we capture the wasted and stunted child? We were interested in that group because of the mortality risk mm. and because of the, the need with finite resources yeah. from a programmatic point of view to focus at least therapeutic treatment, so the more intensive treatment mm-hmm. on children most at risk of dying. And in order to answer that question we needed to go to longitudinal data and also we needed to go to data that was from untreated children yes which of course is not something that is ethical to do but we were able to look back at historic historical data there are are sets out there that offer the opportunity to look back and yeah and see if, if we're capturing those children exactly. in a way that, you know, and I think equally the Merton's analysis 
as well looks at that. How yeah. do we capture the most um, at risk yes. of mortality? Yeah. What are our best ways of doing that? Yeah. So yes, it is. It has been interesting. The refocus yes. on weight for age as an indicator that has mm. come with that work. Yeah. That we've also seen. And I think it's reflected in the systematic review. Other groups outside the WASP, yeah, also looking at it's definitely in their data, which have kind of moved away from looking at underweight, mm-hmm. have, have been looking more closely at underweight, and even um, I think some of the simplified protocol studies yes. now looking more closely at okay well what about the low weight prey yeah. children that are within this study how are they responding yeah and what proportion are we capturing yeah and how are they responding to the treatment that we're offering within that program so I think that has been quite an interesting follow-on from the work that's reached beyond the work of the group mm-hmm. At this point, let's hear from Carmel about the areas she found most interesting in the recent review findings. Hello, I'm Carmel Dolan, and I was one of the original instigators and co-coordinators of the Wasting Stunting Technical Interest Group, or WASTHIG, over many years. And happily, I remain an active member of the WASTHIG and have been uh, more closely involved in some of the WASTIG thematic working groups over recent years. Breaking down the silos between child wasting and stunting, advancing on knowledge of how wasting and stunting interact and can be mitigated has been a considerable focus of mine uh, with members of the WASTIG over many years and arguably quite a passion, but I'd say it's a good passion to have. And what I found most interesting from the systematic review is just how many new studies met our inclusion criteria, which I think is a strong indication that the work of the WASTIG is influencing the wider nutrition research community. And as a subject and as a concern is commanding more and more attention globally uh, and in countries where practitioners are working. I was really quite pleasantly surprised by this as when we embarked on the strategic review, we really didn't know how much new literature and evidence was going to be available to build on the narrative um, that we published in 2014. Beyond what we already knew we'd published as the WASTIG over recent years. So for me, the results of the systematic review is really just such a strong indication of how far we've come from the early days of the WASTIG when we really did spend a lot of time explaining why, why thinking in a more connected way about wasting and stunting was important. I mean, it seems so obvious now, but in those early days, it was somewhat a struggle to convey our concerns about the separation of these forms of undernutrition. But we didn't really have powerful evidence at that stage in the early years to say, you know, this is why it's important. And I'm sort of mindful of, in particular, the work we did with the Global Nutrition Report when Tanya, Martha and myself worked on a panel uh, for the GNR, which was writing up uh, the results of our original analysis of the extent of concurrent wasting and stunting in a large number of countries. I think it was around 84. 
and all the uncertainty that surrounded just pulling together a narrative around this analysis, because it was such a departure from the typical way we had at that stage of reporting on wasting and stunting separately in, in child nutrition publications. So if we take that um, and look at how far we've come now in what a relatively a small number of years, I think it's a really powerful indicator of progress. And what we now have as a result of the systematic review is an even stronger evidence base by which to advocate for change and how we understand and approach these two major forms of child undernutrition. So thinking about what's important that's come out of the systematic review, there's so much really, but I'll just alight on a few observations. I think for our colleagues that work day to day with pregnant mothers, with infants, with young children, in efforts to improve nutrition in their communities, I think the findings from the review can really be used to help explain how Nutrition deficits accumulate from in utero to infancy and through to the young child age categories. And indeed, they amplify those ongoing and future risks of undernutrition. And they're armed with this understanding and with the knowledge that wasted children are also very likely to be stunted um, in a number of uh, contexts and indeed are at further risk of future wasting and stunting. And added to that, where wasting and stunting coexist, there is, of course, this elevated uh, risk of mortality or death. It's really important, not just for academia to understand, but the people working day to day, practitioners through the health system, through community health structures and so forth. So we need to keep conveying the message coming out of the systematic review that mitigating the underlying drivers of wasting and stunting means we have to think more in a more connected or holistic way and adopt these more life cycle and integrated approaches as our way forward, not reverting to or relying on a more siloed uh, way of viewing different forms of undernutrition. And then from a decision-making perspective, this translates into how we think about opportunities where new policies are being framed, where new programs or existing programs are adapted or being developed, and indeed the financing to deliver more connected actions through strengthened systems um, to support better nutrition outcomes. So it would be good to touch on some of the areas coming out of the review where we feel there's still a lot of outstanding questions yes <laughs> not necessarily just questions for the WASTIG, but for the quest the questions for the nutrition sector the wider health sector <clears throat> yep food security that's really the aim as well to inspire more people to be looking at these issues and, and looking at wasting and stunting not as separate phenomena mm -hmm. We included actually research, outstanding research questions as yeah. one of our criteria. We looked at physiology, we looked at mechanisms in, in the relationship, but we also looked at um, questions that had been identified. So in all of the papers, there were research questions at the end, and we also found one paper solely dedicated to looking at research priorities, which was the Chinry, um, looking at research priorities. But So we, we've included that and we've included all of the others, and I think 
one of the, the, the big ones that stands out is prevention. Addressing the born wasted and born stunted group, you know, that, that zero to three month, the peak of wasting and stunting that currently fall out of our programming criteria and targeting criteria. Yeah. Um, so pre- prevention to prevent the spiraling of deficits and the accumulation of deficits yeah. and, you know, that continuation that we see throughout the life cycle. On, to, on top of that, it's interventions that can halt you know, once, once they do occur, what can we yeah. do to then stop it happening again or to stop that spiraling? Yeah. So preventing it, but then when it happens, what can we do? So what? how can we look at the products that we're using to, yeah. to treat? How can we look at future follow-up, you know, mm. and promoting linear growth after periods of, of yeah. wasting um, and how to address that? Yeah. That was really interesting. And then some of the, I think another thing that's come up is is those programmatic and cost implications of potentially thinking about using UAC and weight for age criteria. Yeah. You know, what are the cost implications? What are the programmatic implications of that? Um, yeah. What does it look like in a community program to, yes. to be using that criteria in, in surveillance, in, in programming, in treatment, in all of those things? Any, I suppose, treatment implications as well. And, you know, yeah. Yes, exactly. Your caseload implications, your treatment implications, and then thinking about your admission and, and discharge criteria and, and all of those things. So, yeah, lots, lots to think about. I think there are big questions about. I'll go back, back, back to the prevention side. Yes. So how, do, how do you target pregnant women? Mm. How do you target women before they're pregnant? How do you target women when they're pregnant? And then what interventions will you know, prevent the, that really early onset wasting and stunting or the in utero yes. wasting and stunting? Um, and what, what can we do? I think that's a huge question. I think it's one of those things that we talk about a lot but don't necessarily fully understand or doesn't necessarily translate to action yes. or you know, practical operational yes. research. I agree. I guess the other question around prevention, you know, we said at the beginning, we didn't focus on this overlap of drivers yeah. of wasting and stunting given that there had been previous work highlighting commonalities. Mm. But I guess, you know, we recognise there's contextual differences and also the question that keeps coming is how much commonality and then how much divergence. Mm. So if you're looking from a programmatic point of view in terms of prevention, are there efficiencies in terms of bringing together prevention of wasting and stunting I mean, the evidence suggests absolutely it'll be efficiency. But what does that look like? What does that look like in different contexts? And also, what about the divergent pieces? Mm. I don't, I don't think there is a simple answer because yeah. it's so the determinants are so widespread, and mm. it's, it's multi-sector, it's multi-donor, it's, it's emergencies, it's development, it's yeah. all of those things. But what we have shown with the evidence is, is that the split hasn't worked and that we've missed, yeah. you know, by dividing the wasting prevention or treatment this way and the stunting prevention this way, we've missed an incredibly vulnerable group of at-risk children. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess also that treatment, given that we know that during 
wasting that wasting is part of the pathway to stunting mm. treatment is therefore part of a mm. pathway yes yes to, to better yeah. or to preventing yes. stunting yes let's hear from carmel which questions she feels still remain to be answered from the research perspective as I said earlier, we've come such a long way, but of course there are outstanding questions that remain and that warrant, from my view, uh, investments in, in more research. So I think I'll alight on three that I think are the standout from the systematic review, but of course it's not limited to these. The first one being this um, issue of incidence rather than prevalence estimates. Until we get that, until we really get deeper into uh, what is the real and more accurate picture of the true extent of undernutrition, then I think we're always going to be underestimating need, putting it quite frankly, and we can no longer continue to do that. Then I think second to that would be the in utero environment issue and the maternal interventions, the evidence for those that best optimise fetal growth and therefore prevent uh, in utero wasting and stunting. And then I think the all-important question of how do we mitigate these uh, mortality risks among concurrently wasted and stunted children and optimise their growth, especially within standard treatment programmes. Of course, there are many wasted, stunted kids that aren't in standard treatment programmes, but we're doing our very best to keep scaling up those and, and making sure they are available. So I think that really is such a major area and the work of the WASTIG in developing the new protocol for that research really needs to be uh, financed and, and move forward because there's so much still to learn and so much more evidence that we need to build in all of these areas. So I think I can see a busy phase ahead for the WASTIG, but that's not new. It's always been a very vibrant and busy concern. And that is because it's serving such an important role in advancing our understanding, our knowledge and our approach to nutrition, particularly in infants and young children. So thanks for inviting me to share some of my reflections on the systematic review. Well, I think that's a very fitting note to end on. Thank you so much, Susan, for talking through some of these key findings and implications with me today. And of course, huge thanks to Gloria and Carmel for also sharing their thoughts. Listeners, thanks very much for tuning in. I hope this has whetted your appetite and will help you navigate your way through what is quite a dense review with lots of information in it. To access the paper that we've been discussing, or find out more about the Wasting and Stunting Technical Interest Group and its work, please go to the ENN website, www.ennonline.net and search Wasting and Stunting. Thank you and goodbye.